We're going to be studying um, this new series in Joshua, and the series is called Next, right? And I've been talking to you for the last few weeks about entering into Joshua, and I was pretty excited about it because Joshua is one of these kind of epic stories. Does anyone know where the Joshua is found in the Bible? Anybody know? Yeah, good. It's, it's, in the, it's in the, toward the beginning of the book, the beginning of the Bible, right? And we're going to start at the beginning of the book of Joshua, but I, I was excited about sharing this um, with you because Joshua is this great story of the people of God, and it comes in kind of in the middle of the story of the people of God. Like, I would say this, that for all the people that came before Joshua, they thought their story was the story of God, right? I mean, that's what they believed about themselves. And yet in Joshua, we find that God's story continues in maybe an unexpected way, in a whole new direction. And as we... Uh, as we consider maybe in our own lives what's next, or next Sunday as a church, we consider what's next for us. You know, this is a, this is a big deal, right? I mean, I don't take it for granted that you all are here investing your time, investing your energy, and trying to find out what God is doing in your life. And so it's a big deal to us that we could do that together well. That's why I mentioned earlier having a conversation. What's next for Family Bible Church? What's next for you? What's next for your marriage? Or maybe for your kids, what's happening in your kid's life, that things are changing, right? And many times we can be like um, the Israelites and believe that that story is coming to an end when the reality is that it's just now beginning. So I'm going to ask that you would do what we always do here. I'm going to ask that you would pray with me. We're going to invite God's Spirit to teach us today, right? Not Don't come here to hear Bill's wisdom because I have none of my own. But listen to what God is saying to you in your life, because I believe that his word does indeed cut deep into our hearts and, and brings us right knowledge, right understanding, maybe more importantly, right practice, right habits, what the people of God look like. So please join me as we go before the Father today. Father God, uh, for the opportunity to get us to worship you, we give you thanks and praise, and for the the way that we're invited in, I pray we would never take that for granted, that you open your courts and you welcome us into your presence, that you desire for us to even talk to you, Father, like right now, that, that you want more than a Sunday morning from us, that you want more than this one moment, but you want us in the quiet places of our lives when, when things are going very well or, or when things are really not going the way we thought they were going to go, that you want us to come to you and talk to you at that time. I thank you for the gift of prayer. I thank you for the gift of relationship, Father God. And today, as we gather here in your name, we, we don't come to hear what I have to say, Lord, because I'm a fool. I have no understanding of my own. But Father, you speak truth. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak truth into hearts and minds today. We ask that you would help those, those shades fall away, that we could see maybe for the first time that the glasses would come off and we would see truth that we could hear it and believe it, and then it would change our life. For many of us, Father, we come from a place of brokenness, a place of lack, a place of, of, of lostness. And today we pray, Father God, that your spirit would shine light, that you would direct us, and that you would indeed um, 
be our Lord, be our master, be our king, be our father. What a joy it is, Father, to be in your presence today. And we trust you with this because you always keep your promises. And we thank you so much for the chance just to remember that today and to worship you more fully. We seek to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you guys, sometimes, you ever just get praying and you can't stop? I could just pray for 25 minutes. You want to go? Are you guys ready? Yeah, I could do that. I love what it, you know, I don't ever doubt that God is listening to you in your life. I hope that you're talking to God. I hope you're listening to what he has to say. Well, as we enter into the word, you can turn to the book of Joshua. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. It's a good place to start if we're going to read a book of the Bible. Interesting fact about Joshua is that he becomes this, all the Old Testament saints are kind of an image of Christ's coming, as expectant deliverance of the king. But Joshua is kind of special because he shares the name with Jesus. You know, G- Jesus is very close. It's Yeshua, right? I mean, this is a, a really, really uh, blessed young man. And and young is all relative, isn't it? But uh, as we read the book, we'll find that out. But we're going to read the book of Joshua and um, see what the Lord has to say. This is the way it reads. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Yahweh, by the way, notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to take a stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And this becomes the opening words in in the book of Joshua to us. This becomes kind of our introductory. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Joshua has been journeying with God for a while. And yet here, God starts this new thing. He starts to tell Joshua, what's next? It's hard for us to imagine, maybe, where Joshua is at this point, right? I mean, I don't pretend that I can do it clearly, but it's, he's spent his whole life under the training of this guy Moses. He spent his whole life in a desert, literally his whole life. And in this moment of loss, in this moment of Moses' death, he gets a word and it says, and now... Joshua. And now my promises are fulfilled. I don't know if if you sense that in your life ever, where you just feel like you're in a desert. You just feel like, you know, the Israelite story is fantastic because these people wandered around for 40 years in a desert. And if you look at it on a map, it ain't that big of a place. You know, if you ever start to get down on yourself about what's where's my life going, you know, read the story of the Israelites. They were lost. They were wandering. They, they, were, they were mad at God, right? 
They were frustrated. They were slaves who were free. And into this story, Joshua is born. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing to try to get our heads around what it would have been like for Joshua to hear this word from the Lord, you know? I mean, the truth is, and we'll hear this later today, that Moses had spoke some words over Joshua, right? I mean, Moses had said, there's some good stuff coming for you, Joshua. Keep the faith. God is good. God is faithful, right? And maybe you've had people in your life say that to you. Just keep the faith. God is good. He has not abandoned you. But here, at the beginning of the book, God speaks. Huh? That's beautiful. He speaks to Joshua directly. And he begins to tell Joshua what his plan is for the next thing. I told you today that I hope you pray often in your life. I mean, not churchy, fancy, like real conversations with God. What's next for me? What's next in my life, Lord? Where are we going? Were you here last week? Did you hear what Elaine said to us? Lord, what was that about? That's a great prayer, you know? Honest to God prayer. Where is your faith heading for you? Do you find yourself being drawn nearer to God? Or, or do you find yourself being drawn closer to some kind of a, a make-believe religion that men respect or something? You know what I mean? Like, is it really real? Are you really growing in Christ? Are you really seeing fruit in your life? We always have a tendency to see the places we've been, and we get stuck in the places that we are, but we don't often think about where we're heading. What's next? I tell you, it's a dangerous thing right? One of the hardest things it seems in life to do is to have someone give you hope. I know many times in life we just forget about dreaming. Even, you know, we have some graduates coming up, some high school graduates, some college graduates getting ready to graduate as well this year. And, you know, it's a time that you think you can do anything, I'm so excited for my son, Nathan, who's going to be graduating. My message always to anyone is that a milestone is, man, look at what's next. The, the sky's the limit. Anything. You can do anything. Especially, you can, you can manufacture stuff, but especially if you're paying attention to what God is doing in your life. There really is no limit. And yet, as you know, if you've gone through those transitions a year or two later, a little disillusioned, kind of maybe in a rut, things that, and you don't dare to dream again, right? So the first thing that I want to think about this morning in, in Joshua is that this whole story is the birth of a dream. He, he had been raised in the desert. He had heard the stories, the promises. He had heard that his parents were slaves. He had heard that God had delivered them and he had heard that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And yet his whole life, and this is true, by the way, I'm not just picking on Joshua here, because Joshua's, the book's written about Joshua, that's kind of a big deal. But there's a whole people group under Joshua. It's true for them too. They had heard the stories, and yet 
They had never dreamed any dreams like that because their whole life was in the desert. I wonder in our own lives, what are the things that keep us from truly dreaming dreams again? What is it about entering God's promises that we're afraid of? I want you to look with me in verse 2. The word says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, listen to what God, this is God, right? The Lord speaking to Joshua, and he says, Now then, Joshua, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them, right? God's like, get ready, because it's going to be awesome. This is like the final event, right? The lights are down, the thing, the music's going. It's, uh, this is it. It's prime time, baby. Get ready, Joshua. The dream's coming. And, and, and I wonder, you know, for Joshua, how does he hear that? Here is God trying to break into his heart. Or my heart. Or your heart. Here's a soft voice saying, trust me. Lord, you don't know the problems my family has. And God says, trust me. You don't know. Did you, did you guys hear Elaine last week? What a fantastic testimony. All I have, Lord, are these few things, but they're yours. And God says, trust me. And he invites his people to dream again. An interesting thing that we'll see here. By the way, I want to I go through there real quick. Let's just walk through this real quick. It says in verse 3, I will give you, listen to the promises that God makes to his people. This is ridiculous. I will give you every place where you set your foot. I want you to think about that literally for a minute. That meant that God in his ordination over his people said this, people of mine, when you take a step as your foot is touching the ground, it's yours. That's crazy, right? I mean, these people who have been lost and wandering, and now he says, everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, it's my ground for you. That's a, a talk about dreaming again, right? Everywhere you go, I will give you that land. Listen to verse 4. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. I'm sure they were done with the desert, right? And from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. And then, and so there's this, a man, they can't, like, the promised land. That's why we call it the promised land. Like, wow, you know, this is our inheritance. People who have been driven around, who have been enslaved, enslaved by others, and now they're going to be free in their own land. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. <clears throat> this is almost the exact opposite of what the Israelites experienced in the desert. Like, it wasn't even people in their way. It was just stuff. It was just circumstances. <laughs> it was just, you know, everything wasn't going around. Let's just go back to slavery, they kept saying. This is too hard, you know. And here Joshua and the people of God are on the brink of entering the promised land. He says, and even your enemies will not stand up to you. Which you'll remember is how God delivered his people from Egypt to begin with. He's birthing in them a new dream. I want you to understand something anytime in Scripture. This is about God, not his people. 
This is about God's promise for you and for me, right? It's not about us. And so when he's beginning to fulfill, to, to encourage people, believe the dream again, he's, he's a, making, bringing about glory for himself to people who've forgotten how good God is. Well, so as he's in the middle of birthing this dream, something came out, kind of stood out to me, and it happens in verse 2, and this is a reality that you and I face in our lives, and, and I want to talk about this for a minute. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead, Right? And you can go back and read in Deuteronomy a little bit where Moses gets the word from the Lord that you ain't going to make the promised land, brother. Thanks for being faithful. I know you wanted to not really lead for me. And I know you can see it from here, but this is where you get off. <laughs> you know, and if that's the totality of what we believe life's about, that'd be pretty depressing. We know that Moses believed in the promises of God. So he has an eternal inheritance. But boy, what a struggle for Moses, right? The reality is that a birth of any new dream for you and for me, often means that another dream has to die, right? And, and here we see it very clearly. Joshua, under Moses' leadership, his whole life, he's been, you know, being taught and raised and, and, and spoken over. I mean, can you imagine the influence Moses had? And in this moment, before God fulfills his promise, he removes Moses from Joshua. He takes him out of the... Now, some of us might be thinking, well, you know what? Yeah, man, making room at the top, right? I mean, there can only be one leader. Now, Josh, I, I can't imagine. You listen to Joshua's plan? All right, here's the plan. Moses is going to keep leading, and we're going to keep going that way, right? I'll keep being number two. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have milk and honey for all the kids, you know? This will be Josh. And God's like, no, that's not my plan. This ends, and this begins. And many times in our life, the birth of a new dream requires the death of an old one. The truth is we don't often think that that's true. We think we can just keep, you know, amassing without ever letting go of something. I, I have questions for you this morning that I want you to consider in your own life. Because ultimately the point of reading Joshua isn't to understand the history of Israel, although it's there. The, the, the point is to understand our journey in Christ. My question is what are some things that are keeping you from truly trusting and following God in your life? Like, what are those things that are keeping you from believing more fully? All of us have those things that restrict us, that hold us, that, that those little secrets, those things that we aren't willing to let go of. You know, something else, and I, I, there's some great work that's been done on this idea, but um, what things must die, right? This isn't a joke when Moses died on the mountain. It's not just like, well, that chapter's over, next chapter begins. This was real loss. What are you not being honest with God about that you are losing? Well, what are you not willing to go to God and say, this really hurts? This is not what I would want. See, letting go of something, a dream, is a process of grieving. And until we're willing to do that, be honest with God, talk to him about where, we'll never fully grasp where he has us to go. We'll never be able to fully believe and engage in his new dream for our life. 
And I'm not saying we just cut everything off, but there are some things that have to die so that you might find life. We'll talk more about that. Second thing I want you to see from these opening, opening verses, just a few verses, is that God gives us gifts that we do not deserve. If there's one thing I want you to hold on to out of this service today, that would be it. That God gives us things that we do not deserve. That that is his nature. That that is who God is to us. He's a giver. And he doesn't give us things that we have coming to us. He gives us things that we don't deserve. That there are abundant gifts. I, I, I will just read here again um, in verse uh, 2 and 3. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan to the land I'm about to give them. In verse 3, I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. You see, he didn't owe Joshua anything. But you're going to get it. You're going to get something that you do not deserve in life. You're going to walk into a land that is beyond comprehension. And you don't deserve any of it. We don't think that way, do we? I remember one time I, was, um, I went to my doctor. And uh, I was, this is back whenever insurance was better. And, uh, and so you could, I, could, I had a $10 copay. I'd go to the doctor for everything. I'd go to the doctor just to hang out and talk to him. Hey, what's up? Here's my $10. How's things going? Got a pinky. You know what I'm saying? I, I just did that. I don't know. I was in corporate America. I just checked things out, you know. I, I, uh, I did some, I had some exams I shouldn't have had in hindsight. Uh, but they were covered. So, you know, I was feeling good about that. But I went to my doctor one time. I was talking to him. And I said, I was talking to him about stuff. And he goes, let me ask you a question. I mean, we're just chit-chatting. My doctor's fantastic. We're just chit-chatting. And he says, let me ask you a question. Are you a, an optimist or a pessimist? Right? And I said, I'm a realist. And he said, you're a pessimist. <laughs> That's what he told me. Yeah. But yeah, I said, no, I'm not. You know, because here's the thing. When we follow God, we can fall into one of those three categories, right? I think an optimist says, I'm going to do enough good stuff. And when I do enough good stuff for God, I will deserve his blessing. Right? I've encouraged you guys before. There's this great book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. My favorite C.S. Lewis work. It's fantastic. And there's this illustration there about a woman who gets to heaven and is indignant with God because she deserves to be there. Right? Now, what do you think Lewis says? You ain't getting in. Right? But there are, there are a large group of humanity that believes, and maybe some of you that right now are believing, that you'll do enough good stuff in your life, that you will please God enough by your behavior, by your choices, that you will get what you deserve, which is heaven. I want you to understand that is not the gospel. It does not say that anywhere in the gospel. Now, those are the optimists, and that's the optimist danger, right? I am good enough. I'm going to walk up to that gate and I'm going to knock hard. You know, I'm going to kick it down. I am here, <laughs> right? Doesn't sound very biblical. The second can be as dangerous. You could be in your life a pessimist, right? And you can believe that you don't deserve heaven and therefore 
you can never have it. You, you, can, you can be so stuck in your past and so stuck in your story and so telling those old lies that, that are lies, you know? Because I got news for you this morning. Your Father in heaven loves you. And those voices that come that are, that are these condemning voices that continually cycle in your mind are not of God. The gospel he shares is the gospel of grace. And you have begun to believe as a pessimist that no matter what I do, it'll never change. No matter where I go, it's always going to be a mess. And you play the tape back. You play the tape back. You're no good. You're, you've been rotten your whole life. You know your parents never cared about you. You know whatever it is. And you play the tape over and over and over again. And the tragedy is that you're right that you don't deserve it. But you're wrong that you can't have it. Because the third view that I would like to say that this gospel shared in Joshua says is that you don't deserve it and yet you can still have it. That you can't earn it and yet you can still receive it. And this is the story of the kingdom of God. A God who does not give us what we deserve, but gives us ridiculously more than we could have ever wanted or hoped for. This is the gospel of grace. I remember I was at um, Greenville College. I, I had a great experience there, by the way, I, I'm just saying. And my favorite class was probably Core 301. And we sat in this class, and I was like transfer students, you know, because so I came in as a junior. And, and I don't know how many people were in this class, maybe, I don't know what, 70 or I don't know how many kids were in the class. And we, it was a community building class. This was ridiculous. Teach a class on how to build community, right? Only Rick McPeak would try to do this, you know. Um, I remember a lot, but I tell you what I remember. And it kind of breaks my heart, and I'm not talking because I think God can do anything. But I remember one student in the class, the, the final exam was set up like this. Are you willing to take a community grade? And that means that if you've been doing, and was, this class was hard. He had us memorizing crazy stuff. He had us doing these crazy, stupid tests. He had us doing, writing these ridiculous papers. He had us taking attendance. And if our classmate didn't show up, we got dinged for it. So we're busting each other's chops. You got to be a class, man, because I'm going to get an A. You know what I mean? And if you're type A like me, like you want your A. You know what I'm saying? And the question becomes at the end of the class, are you willing to take a community grade so that no one fails? Or do you want what you've earned? I got news for you, friends. That's a gospel question. And there was this one young lady. Man, she was smart. She was young and she was attractive. She had the whole world before her and she had a 4.0 that shined when she talked about it. You know what I mean? I mean, she, she was from a little bit, you know, she was probably in front of the class in preschool, you know, this kid. Her whole life was about achieving, achieving, achieving. And she sat in the back of this class, and this frustration or this anger came out of her. How dare you not give me what I deserve? I mean, vile, public, pretty quaint little girl just was spewing, just angry, lost all sense in her mind, because how can you not possibly give me what I've 
deserve in this class. I have worked harder than everyone here. I mean, she was nice. We thought. No, no, she was nice. No, I mean it. Like, I, I didn't lose. I just, I saw in her me. When I sat and looked, I saw in her me. And my heart broke. And you had to answer the question, what are you going to take? What you deserve? Are you going to make sure that everybody gets in? Well, the irony was, and this is the secret, um, if you took the community grade, you pass. Huh? But if you want what you deserve, no matter how hard you worked, you failed. Because that's the gospel, right? We do things that are good because God compels us. And we love those who are far from God because God's heart is in us. His spirit is driving us forward. And yet we never stand on our righteousness. We never hope to make it because the truth is that God gives us things that we don't deserve. And that is the core of the gospel. That's a real view of our sin and God's grace. And so my question for you this morning is twofold. First, what are those stories you keep telling yourself that you don't deserve? Listen to me. God's love. We don't deserve heaven, right? But God has given us his love. We sang a song this morning, the Father, we danced for the Father. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that he smiles on you? Do you believe he's pleased just because you're you? What tapes do you play that tell you the lie that you do not deserve to receive God's love. And then the second question is this. How can recognizing rightly our lack of deserving his gift change our hearts and our minds for his kingdom? Like, how can it change our life when we admit rightly before God that we don't deserve anything? You know, this changes everything, Right? You can be having the worst day of your life. You can be mad at the world because, you know, whatever, you got the parking ticket or I don't know what it is for you. You know, you just missed a bus or, you know, you burnt your toast. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can get all mad about that stuff, can't you? Oh, the world's coming to an end. I'm so aggravated, you know. And then if you spend a minute thinking about what you deserve and what our Father has given us, you just go, hey, it's burnt toast, right? It's just a car, right? It's just a little thing. I have the love of God. How can rightly seeing what we actually deserve before our holy heavenly Father drive us to a place of grace where we celebrate, where we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's beautiful. And we get to have it and we get to offer it to others. Well, the third, and I'm going to end here, but the third is this. God gives us more than a place to go. And this, we can believe this is a New Testament story, but I want you to hear it from Joshua's story. It's more than a place to go. It's more than a destination in our lives. God is more interested in us than that. 
than just getting there. That's what's wrong with the punching your ticket for heaven theology, right? Because he's far more interested in a relationship and he promises his actual presence. And this, we know when the New Testament comes in the form of the Holy Spirit that the Lord says he pours out on his servants that he gives to us in these days for us to have to be assured of our salvation. But in Joshua's day, I want you to see the promise that God made over him and his people. Look at what it says. It's in verse 5. This is the way it reads. No one will stand up to you all days of your life as I was with Moses. I want you to see God's consistency. So I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. God's word to his people. You know how I was with all those saints before? I'm with you the same way. We read our Bibles and we think that's other people. The God of the Bible hasn't changed his promises stand today. And he says, in the ways I was with all those, I'm with you in the same way. Every place your foot will tread, I will go with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. These are words that we need to hear. Like deep in our body, we need in our spirit, we need to hear these words. That God loves us no matter what. And this, honestly, is the scandal of the gospel. Because it's ridiculous love that we're given. It's, it's just a gift from him. It doesn't necessitate anything of ourselves. And we're wholly redeemed, completely saved, free in him. I had a few verses. I'm going to skip over them. But I, I, I want you to know that this is a promise that Jesus made, right? Right? To his people, I'm always with you. This is the promise that God made in the First Testament. I'll never leave you or forsake you. This is the promise that God had made to Moses when he called him into leadership. And it's a promise he went with Israel into the promised land. I believe it's a promise he still has for Israel as people. And it's a promise he still has for all those who are believing in the gospel of Christ. He will never leave us or forsake us. And my question for you is, what areas of your life are you still trying to do it on your own? How tragic, how different would the story of Joshua have been if God had said, I will never leave you. And Joshua said, okay, God, wait right here. Right? But we do that in our lives. What are the areas of your life that you're sort of trying to do it alone? You're trying to fake it till you make it. You're trying to pretend that you got it all together when you're falling apart inside. Because that's the stuff that God cares about. He doesn't care about external things. Here's another question. Do you believe that you can go to a place that God would forsake you? Like, do you believe you can get there from here? If God's love is ever, do you believe you can enter into a place in your life where God would say, that's it, no more? I don't see anything this side of death that gives us that kind of separation from God. Where could we go that God would not be present with us? And then the last question I have for you is this. What confidence would you have in your life if you knew, if you believed that you could never be abandoned, that you could never be unlovable, and that God is always with you, that, that would change everything. 
from walking in the door to talk to your husband after you know your day to putting your kids to bed at night, to talking to your mom, if you believe that God was with you in the moment, walking with you, that you could do nothing to be forsaken by him, it would change your whole life. Going to work tomorrow would be different. And this is the gospel of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave himself so that we would never be separated again. I don't know if you believe the gospel today. And I don't know if you believe it that deeply. Maybe you believe it in the surface, you know. I did that thing. I said that prayer. I raised my hand that time. I hope it works. But you're not in relationship with him. I'm prompted by the Holy Spirit in my own life. His desire is for relationship with you. The Bible is full of stories about him saying, I know you. You know me. We we talk. You're my child. The reality is that in the gospel, we have that kind of an offer, that kind of a relationship. Well, you have a chance today to receive Jesus in that way. And it's no smoke and mirrors. It's no magic. And it's not even a lot of emotionalism. It's an agreement to receive his gift for you. To stop saying, God, you wait here, and I'll come back. But to say, yeah, Father, I can't do this by myself anymore. Wherever you are in your life, and, you know, if you're, if you're young, you're in high school, you're in college, if you're, you know, wise, if you've had a lot of years of experience, God's there saying, I've always loved you. I'll never leave you. And all you have to do is receive this gift of Christ. Well, this is what we're here to proclaim to you today. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I hope that in your life you're growing in faith. I'm going I'm to invite you to pray with me, and you can pray. And, and you can pray right where you're at. And like I said, this is no smoke and mirrors. You can pray that for real that God would come and change your life today. And he'll do it because he is faithful. Please join me in prayer. Father, today we have heard from your word and we have heard the story of Joshua's new beginning. And maybe there are those here today that need a new beginning. Maybe that tape is just wore out, man. And, and they need to hear a new word from you today, Father. I pray that your spirit would speak into those hearts and minds, especially, Father, for those today that believe rightly they don't deserve you, but believe wrongly they can't have you. I give you thanks and praise for this glorious gospel that is you coming to us in desperate need of a Savior and saving us. I pray that your spirit would prompt hearts and minds to return to you, that all this stuff we do at Family Battle Church would be about bringing people to you, acknowledging your holiness, your glory, administering some love in your name. And Father, for those of us who have wrongly believed that we can earn it, that we're going to finally do good enough one day, boy, I pray that lie would die today and that we would actually have the joy of salvation and say, you saved us, though we didn't deserve it. We are heaven-bound, though we didn't earn it. 
God, you are beautiful, and for this we give you thanks and praise. We can't wait for the day when our faith will be sight. We can't wait for the day when we'll know you more fully than today. Our only prayer is for now, for this time, we will grow more each day as your followers. May you do this work in our life. May we sing your praises with everything that we have, with all that we are in our lives, and that will be a gift to us and glory to you. We give you praise and glory for this chance to do it today. May you continue to redeem sinners unworthy. In Jesus' name, amen.